So after that half hour preliminary discussion that everyone who didn't join us for the live sheet, or you all missed it about uh, Rambam and Midrashim and Abarbanel and so on, um, and Maharal, you missed all that good stuff. But now we're back on the Mo'anabuchim. We are in chapter Lamed Dalet. We are where we left off last time in the, uh, talking about the uh, steps, the intermediary disciplines that are necessary. Because first you discussed that the human intellect has to mature in order to be able to understand these areas. And then we said the depth, and he, first he said the depth, then he said the maturity of the intellect. And the third thing is the involved process of steps that, it's, that are required in order to achieve knowledge of metaphysics. He says, that's where we're up to, I think. This, on, in the Kapach edition, it's the nun, page Nun Bet on the top. She, he says that uh, we find many people. In other words, there are some people who get stuck in the preliminary disciplines. They get stuck and they're not able to progress. And there are some that even if their intellect doesn't get uh, stuck, they die. In other words, it's such a long process, you might not make it to the end. And if we didn't have any guidance, in other words, we didn't have any perspective that was given us, uh, but here he says, uh, and I, I believe what he means, is he means that from tradition, in other words, we, we have a tradition about the truths in the areas of metaphysics that are given to us, or mishalim that are given to us. We had to have a complete knowledge of the nature of things, okay? And if we had to prove everything, in other words, if we had to investigate these areas independently, like Avraham Avinu, like we were just talking about before, that in, investigate this independently, and you underestimate the kind of thing, and that's part of why the Midrash is so, uh, and why the Rambam probably thought that Midrash was so important, because you see what a rare breed it is, what a rare individual that, you know, even after thousands of years, one person would be able to traverse all of that length of understanding and analysis to come to the recognition of God. It's not a small thing. So it's saying, the person, if we didn't have any guidance from tradition, like Abraham Avinu didn't have anything, he built the foundation himself. If we didn't have that, so it says, then what would happen was, we would have to learn the nature of things ourselves, the limits of the, of the world. The only way to get to a true knowledge of the essence of things things. And to uh, be able to prove everything is a long process. Then most people would die before they even figured out whether there was a God or not. Right? People say oh, they're skeptics or free thinkers and they want to come to everything on their own. If you had to come to everything on your own in every discipline, imagine if a person had to come to knowledge of biology independently, not using any books or any teachers. They had to come to knowledge of biology independently before they would use any medicine. That person will never get to the point that they use any medicine. What are they going to do? Start from looking at grass and beetles and stuff like that and come up with all of biology? It will never happen. Right? So we have a tradition. There's a, there's a scientific discipline. It's over hundreds of... Uh, or thousands even, depending on how far you want to consider modern medicine, but all these generations of science that have built up to the point that we are now, let's say in the field of biology or the field of physics, okay, anything. I'm not going to drive a car until I independently study all of uh, physics and understand how a car works, and uh, I'm not going to even use books. I'm going to study the natural world until I come up with a uh, an understanding of physics from which I can derive how an airplane and a car work or whatever. And nobody's going to do that. That would be in a practical sphere. So he says, in the area of metaphysics, now who makes the same statement? Who makes a very, very similar statement? Do you know? 
who says the same thing, that if we didn't have tradition, we would die before we ever came to the knowledge of whether there's a God or not. Yeah, he says in the beginning of Emunot V'deot, of Sadia Gaon says it. Same, same thing, yeah. So he says, all the, all the more so that we have to, what we have to attribute to God or a negate of God, right? Um, meaning that uh, whatever wisdom demands that we, we say about God or don't say, he would have one in a million basically who would come to a true understanding of God if we're on our own. But if you want to be one of those individuals that Hashem calls and you want to have true perfection, then you have to attain this level of independent knowledge. In other words, he's saying for everyone else, having the tradition of what the truths are in this area gives them a foundation and they need it. But if you want true perfection, you have to understand why things are the way that they are. And that's true basically in any area, if you really think about it, any discipline, any area, there's a difference between knowing the area and knowing why everything is as it is. You could learn physics and take certain things as axioms and learn physics, but to know why it must be that way and it's not another way, you would have to investigate it at a totally different level. And you know, you could learn, let's say, grammar, or you could be, a, a, like, I'll take something from my own experience. As a, as a Torah reader, let's say, with a lot of experience, so intuitively I know what the right ta'amim are, let's say, 95% of the time, right, after many, after many years of doing it. So, not 100% of the time, definitely not, but let's say 95% of the time. So, but there are books that actually show why that is the correct setup of the ta'amim, meaning why, that the, the, they're rules, they're actual rules for, you know, the, the ta'amim and how they how they are placed and what, what relationships they have and all that. It's actually predictable. It's actually derivable from rules. In order to learn those rules, you have to get like Tamei Amikra by Harav Breuer or something like that and learn the reason behind it. You know, there's Sfarim written on it. But, um, or the structure of words. You might know the right grammatical structure of words when you learn Dikduk, the underlying principles of Dikduk. You learn why it has to be that way, not another way in certain cases. Um, so in any discipline, knowing the causes of things is a higher level of knowledge than knowing the reality of things. You can know the reality of something without knowing, uh, without, like you can be somebody who's a pharmacist and knows what different medicines do, but you don't necessarily have the same level of biological knowledge as a doctor, and that doctor might not have the same biological knowledge as a researcher in the field of biology. Each one is relying on levels of knowledge of causation that are higher than their own. Okay, but if you want to become a true master, you have to be somebody who knows the causes in any discipline. And that's definitely true in the area of knowledge of God. You can rely on the tradition and, uh, and the 13 principles. And that was what Ellie Goodman said in his book, right? He said that the reason, his, his idea, and I really liked it. It was one of the ideas that stuck with me from his book. I have to reread it because like, there was a lot of good uh, stuff in that book. Um, one of the things he said, Ellie, Ellie that Ellie Goodman guy, remember? Yeah, remember L.E. Goodman? That you lent me his book? Yeah. Yeah, so that book, he said in there that his, his idea why they were, he, it's a great, it's like, it's a very, very great, it's a great book. So it was called God of Abraham, I remember. That book is very deep and very hard to read. You have to know, you have to be pretty strong in philosophy and also in classics and also in like Talmud and in Tanakh. He's obviously a broad, broadly read uh, guy. So what, one of the things he says, 
uh, is that the yud, the uh, thirteen principles, yud, you know, the yud gimel ikarim were the Rambam's answer to how the Hamon Am can have Olam Haba. Since Olam Haba is your, your knowledge of God and the Hamon Am has a limited grasp of knowledge of God, they don't have that independent knowledge of God. So how are they all included? And that, and that would explain, I don't remember, I don't think he makes this connection explicitly, but that would explain why uh, that's where the Rambam talks about the Yud Gimel Ikarim. It's uh, right after because he's trying to show you that that's how uh, they have a chilek in Olam Baba, but that's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying they can have some chilek. And I think it's a sharp uh, interpretation. Anyway, he says, And Shlomo Melech already said that uh, in order to gain true knowledge, you need a lot of preparation. Uh, and this is, the, uh, this is a pasuk from, uh, uh, a very vague uh, pasuk from, uh, uh, from Kohelet. And he, and he said, which is, So he says, so he, the, the, uh, uh, so what that actually means, if the, if the, uh, if the iron becomes dull and he didn't sharpen it, he says, So what does it mean? So the, uh, at, at the bottom, he brings the, uh, the, Rav Kafich brings the interpretation of the, uh, of the uh, of Sadia Gaon, and he says this is the Rambam must be taking Sadia Gaon's interpretation because it says if imkeah barzel means if your axe becomes dull, right? Because he didn't sharpen it ahead of time. In other words, the axe becomes dull because he didn't sharpen it ahead of time, right? Right? If he hits it a lot, means he hit. Therefore, he strikes with the axe even more. In other words, he won't succeed hitting and hitting away um, with the dull axe. But what could have happened was wisdom of preparing in advance, sharpening the axe in advance. So he's saying in the same way, if the axe is sharpened in advance, you have a better chance of being able to chop the wood. Meaning if your mind is sharpened and prepared in advance, you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to attain the knowledge of God. He says that um, he says uh, there's another necessity for the there's another reason why you need these other disciplines because a person will have a lot of doubts when he's entering into these areas if he learns it quickly. So that's the thing. When you, uh, it's very easy to, to, to show contradiction. It's very easy to uh, disprove something. It's a lot harder to prove something. Disproof comes from one contradiction. But proof means that you eliminated all the other possibilities. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to prove something. That's why in science, they rarely say something is proven. They can disprove something with one example. But, they can, but even if you have a lot of examples that corroborate, it's not necessarily proven. Because it could be that there's an alternative explanation you're missing. So he's saying that to break something down, right, you can, be, uh, you can do that. And a lot of times, like, uh, guys who learn in yeshivot are really good at finding holes in arguments. You know, they'll find a hole in argument because they're used to learning the Talmudic uh, dialectic where you pick holes in arguments. Oh, no, that's not necessarily... So. It, it, it does definitely... It definitely uh, trains your mind to uh, uh, to um, 
to break down illogical uh, things. However, it doesn't, um, it doesn't necessarily give you the means to establish true things. A person who doesn't have the logical tools or the, the tools of uh, the other disciplines and he falls into a trap, like when he finds himself with sfekot that he can't resolve, um, it's like falling into a pit that a person was walking on the street and they fell into a pit and they can't get out of it. And they'll stay there till they die. If the person had never left home, it would be better off. Right? Saying going into areas that you then can't get yourself out of, that you're not equipped to handle the issues that are going to come up, is worse because you're, put, you're exposing yourself potentially to getting lost. Uh, as opposed to staying where you are and saying, okay, I'm not up to that yet. It's, I, I, I don't have the tools yet to, uh, to be able to come to clear conclusions in that area. So I'm not going to venture into that area. But venturing it into the area, you're already exposing yourself to the possibility you'll fall, you'll stumble, you'll get caught, and you won't be able to get out, which is what happened to Elisha ben Avuya. In other words, Elisha ben Avuya went into the... That's why he always uses that example of the four shenich pardes. One died, right? One, which, which whatever that exactly means... Uh, most likely he was overwhelmed by whatever he saw and it caused him uh, distress and he, uh, it, so much strain on him that he, you know, he, he weakened him to the point of death. One of them went crazy, meaning he was no longer able to, uh, he lost his mind because of what, was, uh, what he uh, discovered in those areas. It caused him to, his attempt to try to make sense out of certain things that he wasn't prepared for uh, caused him to uh, distort things in his mind that did damage to his, his psyche and his uh, intellect. And then Elisha ben Avuya went off the derech. And then only Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, nichnas b'shalom b'shalom. Meaning that Elisha ben Avuya got caught up in problems that his problems were, uh, the, the problems were so overwhelming, he didn't have the means to resolve them, and so he lost, his, uh, he lost himself. And that's why he said, I can never come back. That's why Rabbi Meir would say, no, no, do teshuvah, come back, come back. And he said, no, 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 shuvu, shuvu banim, chutz me'acher. I can't come back. Why? Because he knew that there were things that he couldn't, he could not resolve in his mind. He couldn't go back to being an ordinary, uh, he loved learning, obviously. He would learn and, uh, and this, but he, he, there were certain problems that he knew he could never uh, overcome and, and it wouldn't be able to, it's like, uh, I've met people like this that, you know, I know a couple of people like this in my time. That let's say they're Holocaust survivors and they were traumatized by it. They can't, they can't make peace with, uh, with what happened in the Holocaust. They can't make peace with, uh, with Hashem uh, and uh, all of that after the Holocaust. But they like learning. They love learning. They love talking in Divrei Torah. They like, uh, they like hearing drashot. Uh, you know, they appreciate the Torah, but they can never be like a ma'amin again because certain things was... They were damaged in their ability to... Uh, uh, to relate to God. And so that can ha- that's what happened to Elisha ben Avuya. He got himself caught in certain assumptions about how, uh, how God's uh, governance of the world must work. And the Midrashim, actually, mainly in the Yerushalmi, give a background that makes a lot of sense that, uh, about Elisha ben Avuya. But I, I think I gave some shiurim on it years ago that uh, are still in the, there for posterity on the, on the website. But basically, he got caught in certain assumptions about God that he couldn't get out of. Same thing with Spinoza. He caught himself in certain, um, certain premises that he had that basically locked him in to conclusions that led him in a path 
Both Elisha ben Avuya and Spinoza are great geniuses who were extremely consistent in how they drew the conclusions from the premises that they had. But if your premises are flawed, then so will your conclusions be flawed. And the more deeply buried your premises are, the less likely you are to dig them out and identify them and correct them. Would have been better if they had never embarked on the journey to begin with, like the Rambam is saying. Shlomo Melech makes fun of the uh, lazy people and how little they can accomplish. And you should realize that this is all a mashal for people who don't want to seek wisdom. He says, you know, there are people who desire a, a final uh, destination, they desire a goal, but they don't have the discipline to be able to pursue the means to that goal. He says, it's like the Pasuk says, the desire of the lazy person kills him because his hands refuse to act. You know, you can say, I really want to be uh, wealthy, but you don't go work. You don't go try to uh, build a business. You don't take any action. The same is true in knowledge. I really would love to know the truths about God, but you don't act in a way to get there. So it's not going to happen by itself. And uh, uh, says that all day long he will desire a desire, but the tzaddik will give and he won't hold back. In other words, the, tzaddik, the difference between the tzaddik and the lazy person is the tzaddik gives, actually moves towards his goal. Because since he doesn't do what will settle his desire, the desire consumes him, but he never ends up reaching the goal. He just desires and desires and doesn't do anything. He's relying on, his hope is pinned to something that he has no tools to reach. If he gave up on his aspiration to know uh, God and to have Yidiyat Hashem in the highest form, he would be better because instead of just beating himself up over the fact that he doesn't have that, he would be able to focus his desire on something else. That's the meaning of the end of the mashal. That the tzaddik will give and he won't hold back. It doesn't make sense to compare a tzaddik to a lazy person. A tzaddik is not the opposite of a lazy person. Tzaddik is the opposite of a rasha. Not a, not a lazy person. So he says, He says, Tzedek means somebody who is, a tzaddik is somebody who gives to each thing what it requires. Tzedek means fairness, justice. That means you give to each thing what it's, what it's entitled to, what it requires. And here, what does it mean? It means he gives a full attention and time to learning, so he's able to achieve the goal of knowledge of God, unlike the atzel who just pines after and fantasizes about being able to be there, but doesn't actually do it. Like the guy who fantasizes about being in the NBA, but he never went to any practice to actually develop his basketball skills. Or anyone else like that, who they fantasize about a certain end, but they never take the steps to reach it. He doesn't waste any of his time, the Rambam interprets the pasuk to mean that he doesn't waste his time on anything else, right? Um, what? Full devotion. Right, full devotion. As if it's saying he gives all of his days to Chuchmah and he doesn't hold back from the Chuchmah. Like it says, don't give 
of your wealth to women, meaning don't go after women and uh, waste all of your money uh, chasing after them. Most of the Chachamim, and notice he qualifies it by saying, People who are known to be Chachamim, maybe he doesn't think there's such Chachamim. Right? He's saying, and act, oh, the Kafir says that. Right? The, the people that are known. Okay, so right, he's saying they desire to be a person who knows the Kabbalah like we have today. Everyone wants to be a Mikubal. But they don't want to go through the actual process of that. What will happen? A fool who doesn't want to acknowledge, who wants to claim, to lay claim to being a chacham, but doesn't want to go through the process, will denigrate the process. Will say, ah, that's nonsense. Why are the people who are learning all this stuff is nonsense. It's a waste of time. You don't need that to become a chacham. And, uh, Right, because he either can't learn them or he's too lazy. So therefore, they'll try to to show that they're damaging. You shouldn't learn those subjects; it's a waste of time. Right? But if you really think about it, the truth is, is clear. In other words, he's saying that. Well, and it's so true. It's so true with uh, many people who denigrate the Rambam in particular. Oh, the Rambam thinks that knowledge of God is such a lofty thing, you have to go through all this whole process, you have, to, you have to study all these sciences, you have to study mathematics, you have to study logic, you have to study philosophy, of all this. this is all nonsense, well, this doesn't have anything to do with religion, it's not true, you just have to open up the book and have emunah, and have some inspirational sifrei musar, and you won't need any of that, and why are you wasting your time, in other words, they won't only say, they won't just say, I didn't, do, I didn't go on that path. They'll say, oh, the people who are going on that path, they're wasting their time. They're going very far away from God. They're not coming closer. They're actually ruining it, ruining their emunah. They're not building it. In other words, why? Because he's saying they're protecting their own status as uh, if you don't know something, or either because you can't or you didn't learn it, so you'll say, ah, oh, that's not important to know that. Right? Instead of saying, no, it's really important. I just didn't learn it yet or I wasn't able to or whatever. Instead, you denigrate it because you want to, because it's embarrassing to say, oh, it's really, really important to know that, but I don't know it. Right? It's really, really critical to know that, but I don't know it, and I really need to better myself. You know? Um, that's what they should say. That's a problem with, you know, mixing wisdom with power because you get into a position where you see that the Chazal, by the way, did, never thought this way. That, that, that they never were attached to, at least not officially, they never attached, were attached to power. Because you know the story of Hillel, that, you know, the Bnei B'Terah came and Hillel, you know, Hillel was the only one who knew the answer to the question about what to do, Erev Pesach Shechal B'Shabbat. And when they saw that he knew, they said, you know what, you're the president now. We, we, we retire. You know better than us. Right? So in other words, could you imagine that happening today? Could you imagine any rabbi or person in a position of power sees somebody get up and they know more than them and they say, you know what, that's it, I, 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 shouldn't, be the, I shouldn't be the rabbi here. You are the chacham. Uh, you're going to take over. It reminds me of uh, the story of Nathana Hatid when he saw that Moshe Chanoch came and how he realized how he spoke like um, excellent Aramaic and how he knew how to cite the Gemara and he told him, 
you're now like, you know, you take over the position in Cordova. You know what I'm referring to? No, I don't know the story. The, the Moshe Hanof, the Sefer Yuxin. Yeah, I never heard that story. He was one of the Gonim that got kidnapped um, uh-huh. by pirates. Yeah, yeah, I remember that story, sure. So he got ransomed into Cordova. Mm. And when he, when he came to the Jewish community there, uh, the, he came and Natan Hasid was like giving the drusha. He was like the rub of the town. Uh-huh. And he realized like that Natan Hasid did not like his understanding that Gemara was weak, the Aramaic was weak, their, you know, his, his right. ability to give it over was weak. And afterwards, like Natan Hasid had some questions and then like, and then uh, Moshe Kanov came and started to like answer the questions. And wow. like you also noticed just from his Aramaic how like... How, how good it was. Like, High level. It wasn't just like right. Know, and also from his ability to answer the questions, he understood that like you know, Moshe Hanuk was like you know a serious guy. So therefore, he was like, okay, I. I'm right. Gonna, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. It's that's how it should be. Right. 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 That's the that's how Chachamim should be. If you see that somebody knows more than you, you step aside. That's it. That's. I mean. That's what you see. The. From Chazal, that's how, that's how Chazal operated. Chazal uh, uh, took uh, Hillel to be the, the Beterah stepped aside, let Hillel come in because they saw he was he was he knew more. If that's there's no other criterion uh, uh, for uh, being the uh, intellectual leader other than uh, you know having the highest knowledge. So if somebody has the highest knowledge, they should be the one who's uh, who's the teacher. And uh, the one who's the who's making the decisions, not somebody of a lesser stature. But nowadays, we mix, mix so much politics in with rabbinics, <clears throat> so people become very uh, stuck to their position, especially if they're getting paid. Um, but even just the kavod of it, they don't want to step aside and uh, let somebody else take over <clears throat> because they uh, it's a matter of ego, or it's a matter of influence, or it's a matter of money. And, uh, and it makes everything uh, uh, distorted. So we don't end up getting the best, uh, the best learning. We don't end up getting the best teaching because the person who's the best teacher is probably not also the best politician who's going to edge himself into the most prominent positions. Probably not. once in a while they get discovered. That's good. Like there's a story also about the Rashash, I think, going a little bit further in time and a different uh, kivun, but like... Uh, I remember reading a story about the Rosh Hashanah. He was like a janitor in the... He uh, was a janitor. Maybe you know the story. He was like a janitor in the, uh, in the Beit Midrash. And he would learn all the time. But everyone just thought he was like a janitor. He was just uh, some random Amharitz uh, janitor. And one day... Uh, one day they caught him like learning these very deep Sfarim. Uh, Sifrei Kabbalah maybe it was. I don't remember. But then they recognized that he was actually a secret like genius and a secret this and then they, they took him and they yeah I think yeah yeah but it's a look the, the person like the, we're, we're lucky that we even know that the Vilna Gaon lived because he had zero reason he had zero interest in like creating a Shiva or, or, or becoming any position of power or any position of influence anything like that nothing he had no Interest in it. So it's only from his tiny circle of Talmudim that we have anything of his. Right? That small circle of Talmudim. He had no communal position, nothing. He was purely recognized for his genius and he, had no, he didn't want anything to do with any responsibilities of community. Right? So that kind of a person 
is a real chacham, but of course it, it's, it's incumbent upon the community to elevate that person for their own benefit, really, to some extent for the benefit of the chacham too, because he'll be in a position where he learns he may do more for, for the good, um, but, um, but it's somebody who, uh, but definitely for their own benefit, they should do that. That's why we have it in the tefillah, ala tzadikim ve'ala chasidim. We want, we want to have tzadikim and chasidim and chachamim around who can inspire us and that, you know, it creates a different kind of a community. That's why it says, you know, kola omer davar b'shem omro mevi geula la'olam, very famous, uh, very famous um, statement in Masechet Megillah and other places that anybody who says something in the name of the person who said it, right? Why do you have to say things b'shem omro? Why? What's important? Why does that bring redemption to the world? Do you ever wonder why does that bring redemption to the world that you name, that you tell over who said something? So I'll tell you, my teacher told me this explanation. I don't want to say the teaching and violate the teaching at the same time. My own teacher, uh, my Rabbi Sachs, not the, not the British one, told me this explanation when I was probably like, I don't know, 16 years old or something like that. Um, he told me that the explanation is why does it bring redemption? Because when you say over ideas in the name of the person who said them, instead of taking credit for it, you're bringing credit to people who actually deserve the credit. In other words, you're causing people to recognize who the real chacham is. You're causing people to recognize who the real knowledgeable person is. And that contributes to geulah because it means we're going to then follow after and say in other words I could come and take all these great chidushim that I got from my teachers I could spend the next 30 years if I'm around for that much longer um, telling over things I heard from my my rabbis that were big chidushim I had great you know mechadshim as teachers and very deep thinkers as teachers way deeper than me way more knowledgeable than me I could just take their the stuff that they said and teach it as my own teaching and everyone will think I'm a genius you know and I can, I, I can take credit for all of that and everyone will think I'm a genius. So instead, I have to give attribution of it to the real geniuses so people who hear it will say, oh, wow, uh, this teacher is really somebody worth meeting. This teacher that he's t- mentioning is somebody worth reading or somebody worth learning from. So, uh, so that's, the, yeah, that's the thing. And that's why it brings Geulah. And they base it on the Pasuk of Esther because Esther told Ahasuerosh, B'Shem Mordechai, meaning she wanted him to know that it was Mordechai because that way he would know who the real cause of the, of his, of the favor was. Right? So, so too, and that brought Geulah eventually because therefore Ahasuerosh elevated Mordechai. And in the same way, uh, it, when it comes to Divrei Chochmah, we have to give proper attribution so we elevate the right people. Because otherwise we get into the situation that we have today where people will steal ideas from each other. That Each person wants to make it look like they are the authority, they are the source, they are the one. And, and, and then they, they, they shut out other people. And in fact, that's what happened to Rabbi Abadi in Lakewood anyway. By the way, to get into more politics. You know, I don't want to, you know, but uh, go into all the details. But basically, to make a long story short, what happened to Rabbi Abadi in, was exactly that. He became so popular in the Beit Midrash in Lakewood as the Sho'elu Meshiv and as the Posek that the, you know, the Cutler family, they didn't uh, 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 like that so much and uh, basically wanted to push him out because he was taking away from the proper line of succession of Rosh Yeshiva because while, because while the, the heir apparent as Rosh Yeshiva was running around fundraising all the time, Rabbi Abadi had a line of 100 people every single day asking him Shalot. So they eventually pushed him out, and that's why he had to form his own Beit Midrash. 
right? Even though he's the Rebbe of all of these people, um, uh, 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 Rav Olshin and all these, all these uh, uh, Rav Cutler, Rav Olshin, all of them are his students, Rabbi Abadi's students, right? And that they pushed him out because he because it was really I don't want to say, but it, it wasn't actually. It, it had to do with, partially with the women also involved, the wives and so on, the politics, but. Meaning that the wife of the Rosh Hashiva was upset that the uh, that her husband was being pushed out, but was being outshone by Rabbi Abadi. So whatever. But the point is, when he came out with the silk screen sefer Torah thing, when he came out with the silk screen screen sefer Torah thing, so uh, the, all these rabbis of Lakewood wrote this letter like condemning it. And I remember Rabbi Abadi's son was like, "How dare you? This is your Rebbe that you're writing like a letter condemning his thing and saying that it's uh, you know that it's not acceptable. I, I, he's your teacher. How could you how could you do that? You know they were conde- like all these big rabbis now who write Sfarim and Lakewood. They're all the Talmudim of Rabbi Abadi, right? So what happened was he was too good. He was too like his son said he used to learn eighteen hours a day. He was like he's a goon, obviously." He lives somewhere. He lives in Harnof. I should, I should go meet him. He's getting older. I, I didn't think of that. I should go meet him. But uh, what's the first name? Are we talking about Rabbi Yitzchak Abadi? Rabbi Yitzchak Abadi. Yeah. Look, he's a mechadesh. He's a very original. He has two shutim. His his basic hashkafa is much more Haredi. He's basically a Haredi, but his halachic approach is extremely original and creative. Huh? If you like that kind of like creative halachic uh, analysis, he's very creative, very original. A lot of times it's hard to understand where he gets his conclusions, but um, very, very interesting person. And, but his hashkafa is essentially Haredi, though. He's not a, he's not a, uh, a Maimonidean, but he's an interesting thinker. He's an interesting thinker. Yeah, but uh, you, must, you might find him, like his shelot and shuvot can sometimes be really interesting because his answers are so unexpected. But be that as it may, um, he's very unconventional. Basically, what I think is great about him is that he's an ish emet. Okay, meaning he doesn't kowtow to anyone. Like they said, his front door didn't have a mezuzah on it because he had an entrance to his door that was smaller than arbaamot al arbaamot. Right? There was like an entrance when you walked in and then the door to the actual house. So on the front door, he didn't have a mezuzah. So everyone said, any Haredi rabbi who was a, a normal one would put a mezuzah on the door anyway, because they don't want somebody to say the rabbi doesn't have a mezuzah on his door. The rabbi, the, the, the halakha is, I don't need a mezuzah there. Where am I going to put it there? You know, like he's, like, he's ish emet. He's ish emet, I'm saying. Yeah, right. So the point is, there's a fear of empowering the people who actually have wisdom. And the people who don't actually have wisdom, but who pretend to it, are often better at positioning themselves politically to be in control. And this is the problem. And therefore, they have, to, they have to denigrate the knowledge of the people who really are knowledgeable, or denigrate the methodology, or say that they are studying stuff that's a waste of time, or that they're off the derech, or they're this, or they're that, because it compromises their own position of authority. And that's, what, that's the messiness of politics and religion. Yeah, we have a lot of that here in Israel too. But uh, hopefully, you know, not in my little community here, the little community here is really nice, and still everyone, it's very, like they call it, Hamish community still. But, uh, you know, but even here, there were a couple of um, situations of politics, of major politics with Haredi rabbis coming in and, and staking out claims to certain buildings, shuls, this, that. Even right here in Karmegat, there's already been 
that kind of politics going on uh, in the com- in, in the community. So it's it's universal, you know. Ad biata goel. That's that's the uh, part of the geulah will be recognizing who the real chachamim are and hopefully like elevating them instead of uh, following after those who want to present themselves as having authority for their own uh, reasons. So Bezrat Hashem, we'll see that. Uh, so I uh, wish you guys, George, I got to run this. I, I, I try to 